Welcome back, everyone, to the Council for Maintenance podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we are a show that takes a behind-the-scenes look into the gritty, non-glamorous life of aviation maintenance. We share some laughs, impart some wisdom, all in hopes of giving you that split-seconds relief in your day that can hopefully prevent a mishap. I am your co-host, Six. I'm MVP. And our third host, Shoreline, is here again in the back, silently monitoring our audio, making sure our faces stay fit for radio. <laughs> so I heard you say third horse. Third horse. <laughs> He's a buff horse, man. Shoreline <laughs> is a buff horse. <laughs> Our third horse in the background. <laughs> the buff right, horse. A, a stallion indeed. <laughs> He's a thoroughbred. <laughs> I mean, he's looking at him, looking at him, he's, he's, he's trying not to laugh. <laughs> so we've had an offline conversation about tools and hangar layouts and just having an efficient shop. And that, that was a question that kind of put, that we bounced back and forth with each other. Like what makes an efficient hangar setup? And we understand there's like, different setups for different uh, types of maintenance, right? Like heavy maintenance versus quick, get it in, get it out maintenance. Uh, just park it here for the night maintenance. We get it. But in general, you know, like there's a lot of things that they have in common. <laughs> and especially like uh, if you don't have to bring your majority of your own tools, because I think that's another thing. Uh, a lot of first time AMPs are, first time mechanics kind of struggle with is like, what kind of tool should I bring or what kind of tools should I set up <laughs> for my day to day yeah, test? And, and, and honestly, that comes with experience. I mean, or, or you're working with somebody senior, right? So I remember the first time I had to go work AOG stuff and Hey, you're going to be on the road for a week and it can always extend. Uh, so set up your travel box that can't be more than 50 pounds with a, a slew of tools that can do a multitude of jobs and, wow. and you just trial and error it, you know, and I had even different uh, sleeves or layers for different jobs. You know, if I was going for, uh, you know, engine work, I had a whole, a whole tray for that kind of stuff. And then after a while, I just realized that I could use most of the engine stuff on a whole bunch of other things. And, and you just, Mix and match and piecemeal together as you go. I mean, that's a pretty staunch limit or a pretty hard limit, right? Like, cannot be no more than 50 pounds. Well, and that's because we were, we would fly to different locations to fix jets. So, if, okay, hey, you know, start off, all right, I'm driving to Charlotte, North Carolina, and while I'm in Charlotte, then, oh, okay, well, uh, you're on a plane to San Francisco tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Oh, right. So it's got to it's got to meet that airline limit of fifty pounds. Which, That's which why now if we were tri- driving by van somewhere, you know, obviously you could take a little bit more with you, right? But that, it's all- that included parts too. Ooh, yeah, you're right. If you knew if you knew <laughs> what you were going for. Yeah, that that thing that was a question I asked you some time ago too, right? Like, especially for guys who are AOG who have to drive to a site. Um. Uh, how much do you take, right? <laughs> and then what what kind of parts should you take? Because, I mean, ideally you want to not have to reach out for anything, but you're also kind of limited to what you're capable of carrying, right? Uh, for instance, like on a plane or in a van or whatever kind of mode of transportation you have. So you, you kind of don't want to bring too much where it just kind of has the higher chance of it damaging itself because... <laughs> 
let's face it, I, we've seen some uh, go trucks or uh, on the road vans that just beat up. <laughs> just, like full disarray, stuff's everywhere. The ma- the van looks like it's about maybe three seconds from kicking the bucket, you know? Yeah, but, it's got tires so bald that DOT wouldn't even legally categorize them as tires anymore. <laughs> they're more like you skate know? they're more like skateboard wheels, you know what I mean? Just like NASCAR smooth. slicks. <laughs> Just smooth as smooth as ice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you can actually on a on a rainy day you can see your reflection in them. Ooh, <laughs> that's pretty bad. But uh, again, like uh, as MVP stated, like uh, having your setup, it really just depends on a what kind of operation you're with, and then two, like the experiences, right? Like say, for, like as he mentioned with the AOG side of the house, uh, what's the most common thing that you guys are going to be doing? Is it one of those just like uh, park it and do minor stuff and fly away? Uh, like flyaway kits i think we've mentioned some episodes ago where it's just like minor stuff like uh, i think you meant we mentioned light right. bulbs yeah right so like if you're going out for just doing a, a maintenance checklist a, a seven day checklist or uh a monthly checklist or whatever which is just kind of i call it gas tires and oil you know uh, gas tires lights and oil where you're just kind of going around turning on all the lights checking all the fluid levels making sure nothing's leaking, brakes are good, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, the wear pins aren't, are not are still at the acceptable uh, protrusion. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, then you know, okay, so you, you, you might just go in a small shop van, or sometimes I would, I, at the time, I had a Toyota Corolla, and sometimes I would just take that thing. Oof. Yeah, and I would just fit my, I had a, uh, I had my travel box and then I had a big toolbox and then I had kind of in the middle of the road one. Uh, and I would take my travel one in that middle of the road one, stuff it into the trunk and drive to whatever airport. Cause you know, nine times out of 10, I'd take a couple quarts of oil with me and maybe some hydrofluid and, uh, and that's probably it. Uh, get down there, turn on, Oh man, one of the peanut bulbs in the cockpits burned out. Can me get in the flyway kit? Cool. They got the, is a uh, uh, oh my god! I used to know this is an OL sixty three ninety eight. Oh, somebody's gonna somebody will know that. Anyways, um, you'd replace those, or you might have to replace a landing light or whatever else. But typically, you're not going to be doing any heavy maintenance during those. They they most time just came out of some larger maintenance, so you're just doing this this weekly or monthly check until it's the next large phase maintenance but there are times where it's like hey uh we got this you know we keep getting this latched gear fault so now you got to take the fuselage stands and you're going down and now you got to jack the whole aircraft and swing gears so then you take the box truck and throw all that crap in there yeah um that and that's another thing too i've uh i've seen a lot of uh first timer amps or uh, aircraft mechanics make is like they they bring what's called like the aircraft carrier their huge roll away that they spent thousands upon thousands of dollars to get because somebody along the line pitched it to them that they needed it so they bought it <laughs> uh, which which is fair i get it you know because you never you never know like what kind of outfit you you would be it and how much you exactly need some places they just say bring toolbox 
right? And it, they kind of leave it to yourself to figure out what exactly it's to be filled with, right? They have some like general requirements, you know, like it has to be shadowed, has to have X, Y, Z kind of tools and whatever I'll have you. But as far as size and whatnot, that's kind of up to you. Um, if you're, and then you find out that maybe where you're going to work won't allow you to bring that. So you spend all that money for no reason because of strict tool control programs. Uh, everything's marked and etched and tagged and whatever else and specifically checked out to you. Right. So your own personal tools are not allowed. Now, in the AOG realm, typically, if you're you're, you're going to have your own tools and you're just responsible for them, you be a responsible adult and mechanic, um, and, and you do. Uh, but what's so interesting is I'm guilty of it, right? I think we all are spending enormous amounts of money on tools that maybe we use one time, mm-hmm. and then we learn that really we can do, you know, with a hundred dollars. Two hundred dollars. I'm being cheap here. With five hundred dollars worth of tools, we can do the same, if not more, work than somebody who spent two thousand dollars on tools. Right. Um, And and that's just that's just your skill set that that makes that work. And eventually, you get there, right? I mean, I got there myself, where I had all those fancy tools. But then I I I learned that I just used the same ones over and over for a, a slew of things. Uh, and that's just, that's just how it goes. Um, and so you have those tools you spent so much money on and, and, you know, Kool-Aid would always get mad. Oh my God, do you really need it? Well, I bought it because I had to do this one job and I might not use it today, again, today, tomorrow, even this year, but at some point it's going to come up again and I'm going to be glad that I had the, the right tool to do the job. Right. And, uh, Maybe this is me too, because whenever I spend heavy money on a on a high quality tool, right, or any kind of high quality equipment, it I'm almost skittish to use it. You know, <laughs> like if I got a not so expensive one that does relatively the same thing, I'm gonna beat the shit out of that thing until it runs it so far into the dirt that I that I just have to use the the high speed one. You know, <laughs> but maybe that's just me. <clears throat> it's <clears throat> excuse me. It's a, maybe that's the thing because I, I spent so much money on it and it's shiny and I like to keep it shiny. Maybe that's just me, but, uh, that, that'd be a good example of having an efficient toolbox is like having tools that can do multiple things, right? Like you can use it for more than one job. And I mean, like MVP gave an example is like having something that can do at least two or three different things, maybe multi-tools or, um, like, uh, vice grips even or flashlights that don't die <laughs> right away you know what i mean like uh oh that's one thing to all you out there invest in a good headlamp yes that's all i yes. can tell you invest in a good headlamp yes i've seen some nowadays man like it's it's almost like a like a sweat band right huh. it like it spans like the full width of your forehead and this thing freaking lights up everything within like i don't know a three foot radius just like bright <laughs> i don't know maybe like about 600 or a thousand some lumens or something like that it's powerful stuff and like yeah. it's it's almost it's so bright it's almost unworkable because everything is just like reflecting back at you and it's just bright as shit especially if it's like on white paint or um unfinished uh uh i forget that that undercoating of paint that they put on on almost every airframe 
but prior to but prior to them actually putting that on, everything's like this primer white, and so when you shine light at it, it just like shines back at you, just as almost as intense as the light going towards it. It's pretty bad. <laughs> um, and and again, man, like uh, with toolboxes itself, I mean, we kind of made this joke about um, not bringing in the aircraft carrier. I mean, sometimes if you if if you got the money to blow it and your outfit needs it, by all means bring the aircraft carrier. <laughs> but if you know for a fact that you're going to be going to this kind of outfit and a lot of it is line style maintenance, maybe you don't need the aircraft carrier. What I mean is like the six or 10,000 plus piece uh, tool set. You know what I mean? It has like six, five of everything. <laughs> like uh, I remember uh, this one roll away shit man i think it took like two people to push this thing because it was so damn heavy and there was maybe one drawer that we used and everything else was like almost untouched it was like near brand new the shadowing was still was because it rarely got opened and the only reason why we did open it was just to make sure that everything was there when we rolled it away back into the hangar <laughs> so right right and and so you know I, i've said it before and i'll say it again a large crescent wrench and a forward wrench is really all you need for large wrenches in your toolbox and your in your traveling toolbox. Uh, you can change, you can you can pull off big hydro and fuel lines, or you can change a main landing gear wheel out. Right, you can fit it over the axle nut. Mm -hmm. Is it the right tool? No, but it, they don't take up a whole lot of space in your box versus a two and a half inch. Or three inch axle nut would. Yep. Right. And then the attachments, then breaker bar that go with that. So, so that, you know, those kind of things. And then a, a, a quarter inch uh, dog bone and then shave it down, shave it down thin. So for engine work, mm -hmm. that and an electric ratchet, I, I'll never do another engine change without them. Yep. They're Absolutely. just, they're just so versatile. They save your wrist. That shave down ratchet can, uh, excuse me, that shave down dog bone, that quarter inch dog bone can fit really in any position. You're not fighting with a, a, you know, the normal thickness of the quarter inch and to get into those tight spaces, use the electric ratchet and pull, pull the hardware right off. Um, and, and so why we're talking about all this stuff is, is to one, to, to teach you from what we've learned, but also it's the efficiency of it. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're essentially lean six sigmaing yourself and what you need, and you you can you're proving your leadership and yourself and your peers. Hey, I can do all this same stuff with less than half of what what you got over there. So you're saving not only yourself money, but you're saving uh, time and the company money because you're not having. To, you can take the small car versus the big box truck, right? You're not wasting as much fuel. Uh, you're saving your back from having to lug everything around because oftentimes, in, like in the AOG realm, we had to share vehicles. So when you got when you got back at the end of your at the end of your shift off the road or wherever, you filled up the van, but you had to unload it, yeah. and then you had to restock it with fluids, cleaning stuff, rags, uh, put away the test equipment and all this other things, parts that you brought back with you off the road, old parts, you know, that need to be turned in, your tools, so. So you're you're not wasting extra time when you get back having to 
to unload an entire toolbox is, I guess is what I'm saying. You're absolutely right. And uh, I'm, I'm going to go on a slight tangent about just how you mentioned Lean and Six Sigma. Like, There's many a person or m- so many people out there who flat out hate on Lean and Six Sigma. And for rightfully so, I, I can feel the pain. And the reason why a lot of us hate it is because those that implement it are usually individuals or people who don't really understand the day-to-day life of what they're trying to apply it to. If that makes any sense to anybody out there, like uh, typically lean and six Sigma is used in a manufacturing standpoint, right? You hear this all, all, all the live long day, like Motorola uses it, Toyota uses it, uh, medical facilities uses it, parts manufacturers use it. So it, it starts turning into like, well, how do I apply this into an operational setting or somewhere where it's high pace, high volume, high pace. And you start getting like these individuals who are air quotes six sigma masters, which in some cases they are, but that's also a point of entry that can be discussed in a other episode. But for the most part, like a lot of individuals who apply lean or six sigma, they're trying to utilize the the method that six sigma taught them, which is basically like a shit ton of math, <laughs> right? So trying to math out like an operation that's very complex, that's very dynamic and that changes all the time. It's kind of hard to narrow and pinpoint. And especially it's not something that you can just narrow and pinpoint one time and be fixed. So that that's my little stint on uh, six, six Sigma and lean is like, we get this huge hate and misconception that it only applies to a certain thing. And the ones that do apply it, they kind of overuse it in a way, you know, like they, they try to make it fit into the, it's almost like engineering, right? They try to make it fit into like this perfect box of theoretical practices. But once they actually implement it in practice, it's not as robust as they think it is. Um, but as MVP mentioned, like the true purpose of Lean and Six Sigma, if you were to summarize it, is to cut waste, right? Um and that can be a whole slew of things because there's uh, if you've ever worked on a line, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have, there's a lot of stuff like that adds up. It's like little petty things to very significant things, but they add up. Like having to wait in line to check all your tools if you're if you work in a place that doesn't allow you to bring personal tools, or they have a parts facility or a parts holding area that's well across the flight line from where you're task is at (laughs) right yeah so you need two bolts and it's going to take 45 minutes to get them because they got to come from the other side of the airfield or you know and there's not a direct route or or Um, even or even like uh like a ground support equipment like your hangers here your toolbox is here your your tool crib or your tool issuance area is here but the ground support that you need to help run some of this stuff is maybe one of one hanger servicing 50 lines and it's across the way, like some 30 some minutes away and you got to take, or, or even, or even, uh, it's not sure. It's only, it's only there for you or your use on your aircraft, but it's kept five hangers down and you have to call the age group, the ground equipment guys, and then they have to bring it down to you. Cause for some reason it can't be left in the hangar. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it has to be in its own area for, I don't know what reason, customer requirements or 
your own business requirements or they somebody just doesn't like it the way it looks sitting in the corner over there. So put right. it down here where and then you have to call these people and you say, okay, hey, I need you to come down. Okay, well, we're out across the other side servicing a generator. So when we're done with this, we'll go back and we'll pick it up and then bring it down to you. Like, great. Do you have an ETA? No. Awesome. So, <laughs> you know, what's what's the biggest waste I think we as maintainers experience is time. Mm-hmm. And we're always, we've talked about this before, but we're always pressured for time. There's always a schedule. There's always a flight. There's always a Dubai, you know, and, uh, and those little things like six was saying, just, just add up, add up and add up and add up. And, and then next thing you know, your job that should have taken four hours is flowing into the next day. Yep. Now, uh, I remember some time ago, I've had a, um, a crew chief or a, a line maintenance boss who would say, it should take you no less than two and a half hours to do this task. And it's like, well, two and a half hours, like, that's really long. Because <laughs> we all know, like, the task itself is maybe 30 minutes max, right? Uh, assu- uh, b- apart from something breaking, you have to replace it. But usually it's like 30 minutes. So we're like, chief, where the hell do you get, like, an extra hour and 30 minutes? And he goes, well, look, you got to go find you got it at the time all our manuals were paper so you have to go to the library and check out your manuals oh my god i forgot about those days yeah. too yeah you know you got to go to the tool crib to go check out all your tools you got to go to the ground support section check out all the ground support you got to lug it all out there do the maintenance lug it all back check it back in and then tur- and then do all the paperwork you're really going to oh, tell guess me what you still have to go find the logbook yet too, because at your area of operation, it's kept in a different location than the aircraft. Yeah. Some of you are saying, Oh my God, the logbook's not with the aircraft. Yes. At yeah. some locations at their home station, the books are not with the aircraft. They're kept in a, another building with a documentation group or in the tool crib. And when you go to w- check out your tools, you also have to check out the logbook mm-hmm. to go work on the plane. Oh Yes. Right. And then he and then he looks a dent in the face, like, you really gonna tell me all of that is gonna be less than two hours? I'm like, well, now that you mentioned that, yeah. And then and th- the reason why he brought this up was because um when we sign off our jobs, we say, Oh, such a such job is done in 30 minutes, right? And then somewhere far down the chain, some bean counters are there like, oh shit, like these guys can fix this plane in 30 minutes. Why are we having so many extra maintainers? Or why are we giving these guys so much extra money? Let's just cut all this and pay them for the 30 minutes, right? And then, you know, like, we don't see this until later down the road where our flight ops become so high pay, so high volume, and then we're, we're doing this with less workers and we're sitting there kicking the can. Like, why are we trying to do so much with so little? And it's... In hindsight, it's because we shot ourselves in the foot saying that we can do this job in 30 minutes. Like, we know it well, takes... Th- <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I, I like, mean, well, so... so Right. So, and they have you annotate the time as 30 minutes because that's what they're going to show the customer when it comes to contract renewal time. True. However, in the contracts, there's other stipulations in there, such as... uh you know, uh, cost reimbursable type contracts, right? Where you go, yeah, yeah, it's going to take this long to do the maintenance. 
boom, we got the bid. And here's all the other charges because we're operating under your standards. And with that, we have to keep everything in different locations. So it takes longer, right? Those mm-hmm. are those, you know. That's true. Know. Yeah, you're yeah, right. The, you, you, the time's tracked for money purposes. Hey, we can bid you, we can bid lower because our maintenance times are only this much. And, and then what they do is they hide those other times, like running around, getting logbooks, checking out tools, filling up the van, traveling to there. All those things go under a different pot of money, which is ultimately billed to the customer, but it's under a different name. True. You're right. But when it comes down to, to contract negotiation for maintenance, the maintenance hands-on hours are what counts. This is true. A um, little more than maybe you guys wanted to know, but that's that's ultimately, at least in my experience, is why it's done that way. That's true. And it's all for contract negotiation reasons. This is true. And and it, it, it still technically applies because, you know, like if your hanger is all over the place, like your tools are on one side, your your uh, ground support equipment's on another side, your your other equipment, necessary equipment or parts even are on another side. If you got to bounce around from one end to the other, it's going to take three people just to get everything, meet up in the middle, however long those take, and then go actually do the job. Does this happen on a constant basis? It depends. Because we've seen some outfits where it's literally you bounce all over the place. Like, why can't we have everything staged in one area? And usually the typical answer is because like, whoa, we didn't actually plan for that when we first set this place up. Okay, can we do something about that? Yeah, but that costs money. Cool. <laughs> so what, uh, what we've seen some outfits do is at the beginning of the shift, they'll check out whatever toolboxes or support equipment they'll need, and they'll stage it in one spot. And they will just sit there until the shift's over, and then they turn it all back in, right? That's typically how some of those outfits work. Uh, but it's dangerous because other people know that that box is unlocked. Yep. And then it's and then and then they take tools out of it, and then guess what? They left early mm-hmm. and didn't turn your tool in, and now everybody's trying to figure out where this tool went. Yeah. Or what we would do is you you knew that later in the day you were gonna the aircraft you were working you were out on this spot doing runs, but then it was gonna have to come inside and do gear swings. So you would stage a box and all the stuff there in that corner, and then you would lock the box and carry the key with you all day. Until you, you know, so that way when you pulled into the spot, you were ready to go. You didn't have to go get more tools or anything else. Right. Now, yeah. in another efficient hangar, probably the most efficient hangar I've worked in, and uh, you know, we had uh, two aircraft in there at the time, and we had. Electronic toolboxes. So I had to, you had to use your badge, right? Your employee badge to, to scan it on the toolbox and then it would unlock itself because it recognized you. And then it would unlock and you would get in there and open up and take out whatever, whatever tools you had. But then it would also, when you close the drawer, it would register what was missing and assign that tool to your name because you were the last one in there. So, and then when you would close the box, you would hit done and it would lock itself. And then you're on your way and the next person will come and have to do the same thing. We also had a tool cage. So we didn't have a tool crib with tool crib attendants and a line you had to stand in. You literally walked to the cage, scan your badge. And it was a two-door system, right? So it would unlock the first first door. You'd step in. That door would close behind you. 
uh, it would scan again and then give you a green light and then open you up into the cage. And then vice versa on the way out. And let's say for some reason it didn't register whatever tool you had, or let's say, you know, you didn't, you put something in your pocket. Uh, it would, it would lock you in that, that small between doors section and give you a notification like, you know, unauthorized tool or tool, not whatever. And it would lock you in there. <laughs> your supervisor have to come be like, Oh, you forgot to put this back or you took this and you didn't mark it as such. Um, so it was really kind of efficient that way because you could just get the tools that you needed and you could in and out of the cage and it was assigned to you. And at the end of the day, you're like, all right, are all, and the supervisor have to come around and clear the, clear the, uh, screens. Okay. Nobody from my shifts on here. Boom. We're good to go. And they could, and there was like an electronic signature, right. And it would record that mm-hmm. supervisor recorded that he checked that all tools were in for, for their shift and you're on your way. And then within the same hangar, we had the tool or the, excuse me, the parts room. So then if you needed parts, you literally just walked, I don't know, 20 yards the other direction. And you were at the tool uh, at the, geez, at the tool. We've been saying tool a lot today at the parts room and you can get your parts. And then we also had like all the carbon fiber materials and stuff on racks there. We had all the resins right there in the corner. Like we had this whole layup area set up. We had, um engineering sitting right there on the floor with us so if you had a problem you walked over to their desk i need you at the plane now you know you weren't sending an email and waiting for whenever they decided to respond yep uh that was probably the most most efficient uh hangar i've ever worked in you had one corner where it was all like metal uh working equipment you know we had welders plasma cutters grinders saws uh, we had a carbon fiber corner where, uh, like a big dust booth, where you'd go in there and cut composites and it had ventilation and um, all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, the age group was in the, another corner of the hangar. This is a big hangar, mind you, but but we were packed in. Everything was packed in tight, but everything was there. So you just walked over, and, and, or you could just even yell, hey, I need I need the bottle, bottle jack. All right, bring it over, you know? and mm-hmm. You're right there. Harnesses were hanging on the cages above our desk. Like our, our, we call it the bullpen, but like where the maintainer sat and did their paperwork and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had our harnesses hanging right there. And then uh, safety would come around and do their inspections there. You, they wouldn't take them away. They would come there and do them, replace them right there in the spot if needed to. And you could put on your harnesses to get up. It was just, it was super efficient. That sounds actually really nice. Uh, I think the most... It sounds almost verbatim. Some of the experiences I had with probably one some of the most efficient hangers I've been in. Uh, the w- most efficient one I had didn't have the the electronic toolboxes where it scans stuff, but they set up everything where it almost looked like a pair of two L's, right? Like picture two uh, uppercase L's, uh, a smaller one that's closest to the airplane, and then uh, a larger one that was like just behind that L, and it was like a little corridor almost. And um, all the essential toolboxes you would need, like essential toolboxes, PPE was in that first L. So, and it was right by the plane. So whatever you needed was just right in that general area. And then behind it was any like consumables or other safety equipment you might need, like earplugs, uh, Clecos and shit like that. It was all behind that, that initial L. And then just behind 
that second L was like a row of desks, and that was that was either your shift leads, your um, your in, on on site engineers or on shift engineers, uh, 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 parts runners, supply chain peoples, all that stuff. It was all in a straight line, so like. It, it was almost like an assembly line of how um, things you needed as you needed were there. And it was very easy to find. It was clearly marked, easy to find, and there were probably not more than maybe 15 yards max from end to end of the people you need. And they had these station like bays, kind of like a, like, a, like a drive-in Jiffy Lube bay, I guess. That's the nicest way to say it. And each of these was well, actually large enough to fit a plane too. So like picture like a, a plane sized Jiffy Lube and that's one bay and they can fit like three of them in this giant hangar. And each of these three planes can just be standalone. And you didn't need this. If you needed to move to one to the other bay for anything, it's because either uh, one of your tools was out missing uh, out for recalibration or it was broken and you needed to borrow another one or uh, your on your on shift engineer had to dip out for the day, and then you have to go to the next base uh, engineer, something like that. But that was probably like the most efficient hangar I've ever been in, <laughs> and it was self contained. Like every, it was like this little mini world of everything you need, and it was all within an earshot of you be, of you being able to get stuff. And I'm kind of spoiled by that because <laughs> when I go to other hangars for like audits and stuff. And I see things just all over the place. Like, why don't you just do it like this? <laughs> so whoever the brainiacs were that came up with that system, or at least something close to it, freaking genius. Now, I, I will admit that this hangar was pretty big. So, I mean, they could facilitate that kind of space. But if there, if you can make something similar to that in your hangar space, all the better. Because that was amazing. At how right, I mean, yeah, just just be efficient in your area with whatever you're doing. Uh, set it up to work for you, right? And um, you know, put all put all, if you have belt sanders and disc sanders and other metal, you know, just consolidate that. Find a corner of your hangar and consolidate everything there, and so you know that when you need to go, you know, use that, use those and those kind of tools. They're always here. Yep, and when and when you need other types of tools, they're always there. And put your toolboxes in, you know, one location. Like typically, put it in front of your your desk if you have desk on the hangar floor. Put them as a barricade up against your desk to kind of separate the office space and, and the rest of the work floor. You know, uh, stage your stage your. If you like, say you only have one aircraft in the hangar, where you can only fit one aircraft at a time. All right, we'll have your your fuselage jacks staged. You know, one up at the front, one on each wingtip, and and one towards the back, depending on how many you need to use or whatever. And that way, they're always there and ready to rock and roll, and things are just are, are just just flow better. Um, right. You know, just just a little bit of organization. Yes. Like, and so some of you might be saying, all right, six and MVP, I work out of a van constantly. Fantastic. Build shelves to go in the back of your van. Some uh, van, you know, some companies out there already make custom fit shelves for depending on whether it's a Ford, Chevy, Nissan, Toyota, whatever. 
put those in there. Like we had uh, for one of the places that I worked, we had these little Nissan DV two hundred vans, tiny little things, but they were really good on fuel. And we would uh, we put shelves in the back, and that's where we kept oils and fluids and rags. And underneath of that, we kept the uh, a large socket set for different axle nuts or whatever. And then on the bulkhead wall, like we had, it had a metal wall between the, the cabin and the rest of the van. And on that metal wall, we built uh, low, low shelves, like two or three high shelves. And we would put, uh, we would put other things in there, like extension or, you know, extension cords and um, you name it in there. Right. And then hanging on above that, on that metal cage is where we put extension cords. You know, put uh, oh, on those lower shelves, we put like rubber gloves. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to be out there dealing with fuel at all. And, and then just keep your van stocked and always clean and ready to go and put things back where they came from so you know where they are the next time. Yes. I think that's the one of the biggest ones that I, I've seen people struggle with is um, the sorting of it all, right? Once you use it, they kind of just toss it to where whatever side that is most convenient at the time. And then you can you start kind of get lost of where it was the next time you do need it again, which uh, as an industry, we're stuck, we're getting better at sorting, right? Uh, sorting as far as tool control and that, that's a always thing, but just cause it's shadow doesn't mean it's efficient, <laughs> right? Um, so that probably be like a key step just for anybody at any level is to sort your shit, right? <laughs> sort it in a way that's, that's from like most commonly used or like the longest to get right and mm-hmm. put those on the front end <laughs> and then all the ones that you rarely use are the ones that take the least amount of time and effort that can slide a little bit down the ways right or tuck it in the corner somewhere where you heart you, you only need it once in a while right and i think i just said a, another lean term is that critical path or that might be a project management thing same thing, <laughs> right? The stuff that you know right. that's gonna that's most critical to your timeline, and the stuff that's gonna eat up the most time. That's the ones you kind of want to have in the front first, right? Or the ones you you know for a fact you're gonna be using and abusing the most. Eat uh, from the lowest from the toolboxes to your hanger setup, for that matter. And here's another thing I'll say, right? And I'll touch back on the van, the van, the traveling mechanic aspect. Um, we built on the passenger side sliding door, right? In the back of the van. So it was a two seater van, back doors open, two sliding doors on the side. Well, on the passenger side, when you slid it open, there was a narrow shelf there uh, that we built out of wood. And it wasn't very deep, but it was wide enough to fit a laptop on and a printer. And we made it on a swivel so the computer could swivel around and you could sit on the passenger seat. Like you were sitting sideways on it, right? You weren't facing forward, you were facing out the door, but you could sit in that seat and then do your paperwork on the computer there nice. and then get yourself a good printer and always have a stock of printer there. Cause you have to print, you know, make copies of things, get yourself a good copier printer, one of those mobile ones and always have paper there, but then just make it so where when you're doing your paperwork on the road, you've already got copies made, you've got your work order complete. So when you're done with that job, when you get home and then have a little filing section there, when you get home, you hand that portfolio over to accounting, essentially, or management or whoever. 
who are going to take all those hours, you know, all that work and everything, and then they're going to take that and bill the customer with it. But that way, when you get home, that's one of those things, like I said earlier, when you get home, because you might have to take everything out of the van for the next person, but at least you could, at least when you're there, you offload your stuff, you park the van, offload your stuff, and then you walk up into the office, hand in your paperwork, tip your hat, and you're you're on your way home. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was a big help for for us because as you know a lot of us were sitting on the ramp at 3 a.m trying to do paperwork and things like that just just make yourself a little workstation to make it easier for you right and i bet you that sucked even more especially like when you have to wait all that time especially on the hang on the ramp for whatever reason you're already burned out you're tired and then you come back to a home station and you have to turn all your stuff in and there in it's almost like a scavenger hunt again, trying to find the places that you took shit from and give it back. Or you're, or you're there another hour or two finishing off the paperwork that wasn't done in the in the field because the FBO was closed and you didn't have any way to make copies and send and email things back to the customer or whatever else that you can do while you're sitting there waiting for you know parts. And that's another thing: is you're sitting there waiting for parts, whether you're in a van or a hangar. Uh, don't just sit there and twiddle your thumbs. Not take that time to knock out some paperwork that you've already done. Start your pass down for your next guy. Do these things. Keep a running tally. Don't wait to the last minute because you always forget stuff. Oh it's yes, it's inevitable. Oh yes. Um, so just like it's like we're talking efficiencies at the hangar. Be efficient in your process and how you approach your day. Oh yes. Um, I listened to a speech earlier today, actually, from a former Navy SEAL, and he was a breacher. And he talks about getting, you know, they would run these drills or be on a mission. They would get up to the door. He'd put the charge. He'd put the explosives on the door, put the charge, get back to the safe distance. And he would look back at his team and all he could see in the dark were glowing NVG eyes, right? Mm -hmm. The green eyes of NVGs. And they were all waiting on one thing. They were all waiting on three words, execute, execute, execute. And I think that's something I'm guilty of it too, that we don't do on a daily basis. Yeah, we get up and we go do our jobs, but we don't execute our jobs. We don't make it the best that it could be. We don't make it work for us. We don't, you know, it's just those little extra things. And you might say, man, well, the company should do that for me. Yeah, well, they're not. That's just that's just the way it is. <laughs> They've given you the tools, but it's up to you to make it work for you. Mm-hmm. So, yep. so execute, be efficient in how you approach things. It's tough, I know, but try to, as you're driving to the plane or whatever else in your morning meeting, try to get a plan of attack. Okay. Some people, they just go straight to the plane. All right, what's wrong with it? Oh, this. Well, yeah, we just talked about in the meeting. What the fuck are you doing? Oh, yeah, okay, now I got to drive all the way back and start getting tools and stuff. Why didn't you get the tools before you got out there? So when you got out there, you could have just started working. Well, I just wanted to go make sure and go through the logbook. Oh, you're pissing away time is what you're doing. You know? <laughs> yes <laughs> and nowadays it's man, just those kind of things and nowadays man like a lot of uh, outfits and organizations their logbooks are electronic so you can almost look these up from f- anywhere really you know uh depending if, if, even like say uh if you if they allow remote access you can actually review those logbooks before you even get out of the parking lot if you absolutely wanted to you know um i mean that's a that's a little extreme but you know there there are ways where like you can 
especially how digital everything's going, you can review everything you need paperwork wise before you even step out of the shop. And then uh, if you have your, your toolboxes lined up, if you have your setup lined up just right, it's, it's almost like a conveyor belt of pro of uh, steps. You step out, everything's right there. You grab it, you, you uh, hop in the van or you hop in the truck or whatever it is you you need to get to the plane. You roll out there and, and you're, and you're in the swing of things. You know, uh, it, it kind of reminds me of like those uh, cartoon conveyor belts where they're assembling stuff, right? It's all like one piece, one step, and it's all available in that one little space. Uh, it, it's very manufactory the way I say this, but it works. And if you have everything set up in, in that fashion, like the most critical things go first or the ones that require the most attention and get used the most often go first, it's it almost it's almost like a checklist in your own head. So you make sure you don't, you don't miss anything. And MVP said it himself with the pass downs or just like doing your write-ups. Many a times I've seen that happen. And when you say like this, especially on a shift turnover, when you have to pass, pass a job over, you ask the offgoing shift, Hey, what did you guys do? And they're, they're, they're staring at the sky, trying to remember everything that they did, you know, or, a two minute conversation turns into 20 minutes because they have to round everybody up to see what the hell they did. You know, instead of just a one-stop shop, this is what happened. Here's the lowdown. Everything's written up, carry forward my wayward son, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so you remind me, so I'll use a deployed location that I went to for many years. Uh, we had four hangers there and we designated two as flight hangers and two as maintenance hangers. And we had two different models of aircraft. And one of the flight hangers was for one model, one was for the other, same for the maintenance. The flight hangers were, were aircraft that had no maintenance due on them, didn't have any, you know, they were or just came fresh out of maintenance and were just waiting to be put on, on the schedule to go. Mm -hmm. So and we had different loadouts or whatever in there, but the customer would come and say, we want this. And you're like, yep, it's there boom ready to go and you're pulling out on the line but mm -hmm. in the maintenance hangers in there we took all the parts for one specific model and everything that we would use for that particular model and we put it in that hanger same for the other so and then all the common things we would use we put like you know for certain maintenance events that happened very often um, we would put all those things right up front because we were going to be in those the most mm -hmm. Same with like oil drain pans and all that stuff, funnels. It was all, we always had it staged and ready to go. Yeah. But, but where I want you guys to start thinking about it is, hey, especially in the ops environment, hey, six is on day shift and he's got this helo up. And we know that when it lands, it's due a gear, some type of gearbox maintenance. Okay. Well, that entails these amount of parts. So what Six does is while that thing's in the air, after he launches it, he goes and stages all those parts. And he gets all the parts cards, and he goes in and he and he starts the paperwork. Doesn't finish it, but he preloads part numbers and serial numbers and stuff in the electronic book. And then me, MVP, shows up, and we're doing our pastime. We're walking around. He says, hey, come out to the hangar. Look, here's the book. I've got these things preloaded. All you guys will have to do is say complied with, sign your names. Here's all the parts staged. I've got these things pre-lubed. I've got these things done, whatever. So I'll use what I did, right? So like, let's say we had, um, 
we had a 400 hour change on one of the aircraft and it had that entailed, you know, uh, replacing fuel nozzles and filters for fuel and oil and uh, some other airline filters. And then oftentimes we would sync that up with like uh, actuator changes or whatever else, you know, other components that are timed up. So I would look in the logbook and say, okay, we have this maintenance coming up. So I would go out and pull all the parts out and put it on a cart, a little rollaway cart. I would even go so far as to take all the new hardware for that and, and put anti-seize on them. Same thing with like the spark plugs. I would gap them and pre anti-seize them and have them staged. The oil cans, I would pre-open and put a rubber glove over top of them to keep them clean. Or oil bottles, I'd cut the seal out of the top, put the cap back on. And I would take all those part cards and preload and preload everything into the forms. And that way when that thing lands, they don't have to hunt for parts now. They're just ready to go. Mm-hmm. And that just starts their day off on a good note. They come oh. in, they're like, oh my God, we got an engine change right away? Holy cow. Yeah, but don't worry about it. I got the engine already staged in the back. It's on the crane. Um, it's it's resting on, you know, it's resting in the in the in the pallet, but the crane's hooked up. You just got to pull the pins, lift it. And then we got all these things set up for you. So they're like, oh, cool. All they gotta do is get to work. Yep. When it lands. Um, just things like that, right? Look, look. It's that planning ahead, that um, reducing waste of time mm-hmm. because you were efficient with your time when you had some downtime. And then the same thing, you would come in the next day and guess what's sitting there waiting for you? Your stuff was already set up, you know? Yep. It, it helps a lot. It, it's those little things like that, that Six had mentioned earlier, that, that can really reduce the most amount of waste, which in my opinion, we see as maintainers is time. Yes. And you know what, those, that, those type of practices are a freaking godsend. Uh, I freaking love those things, especially when all that is set out or uh, in a sense, kitted out for you. Like it's all just sitting and waiting in one neat little kit. Because some maintenance, they have their own install kits or they have their own like uh, little boxes and stuff, but it's all kind of just scattered in. It's, it's like in a, a shipping box and it's all just scattered in little plastic bags or whatever the hell it may be. But have it all just set up and ready to go in, in I, those are the best. Because now you don't have to worry about stuff. You just, roll, as MVP said, you just roll right into the job, do the job, however long it takes, however painful it is, and roll out. <laughs> best thing ever. And this applies at every level. That's the fun part. Whether it's you setting up your own personal toolbox, whether it's setting up your shop's or your outfits to toolbox, your van, your flyaway kit, brand new hanger, never been set up before, all that it plays at every single level, right? And that's the kind of the mindset that we want to really push here is, right, don't just be react. Don't just wait for stuff to happen and then you have to respond. If you're dictating how things are responding, like you're the one in control, things roll by so much smoother. Well, the stuff that we can't control, let's just say that, right? Because especially with the uh, aviation industry, like some things are just reactionary. It just, it's just the nature of the beast. But what, what little you guys, we can control, let's use that to the best of our ability. And MVP just gave probably like one of the best examples ever. <laughs> and I absolutely love it. Those are the ones I love coming to work for. It's already a shit time having to, uh, however little sleep you got, or if you had a rough shift the, the, what, the day prior. And you already know you're in for some craziness, but knowing that at least some of the work's already been eliminated, or at least the tedious work has been eliminated, 
best uh, best thing ever. <laughs> yeah, and it could even be something as simple as like, oh hey, we went and filled up the fuel trucks, or we took all the support equipment, the tugs and all that, and we went we went over to the fuel farm and filled them up. Oh, those oh. are the best. Oh, sweet. Yeah, well, we had some time. We know it's a pain in the ass to do it at night, so we did this. Or I know you guys have got a busy schedule tomorrow during the day, and you don't need to waste any time pulling a tug or whatever off the line to go put fuel in it. So we, we did all those things. And that's just being efficient. That's that's helping you, help your peers, help the overall program. Yes. It's just efficiency. I love it. So we so we covered a lot. We talked about tools. We talked about hangar setups. We talked about being on the road. Just overall efficiency in general between ourselves and shop practices. It, it's a lot to take in, but you know, like if there's if there's anything that we've uh, had in common is like we're trying to give back time that you're already in desperate need of. <laughs> right? um, anything else you'd like to add to any of this MVP? I'd just like to hear back from you guys. What's what's uh, an efficient setup you've been in? Or, hey, you took a look at your own, after listening to this, you took a look at your own workspace and went, huh, I can make this better. What did you do to make it better? Maybe maybe we can all learn something from one another. Um, right. I, I implore you to all go look at your tools right now. If you ha- Especially if you have your own uh, tools, you work in an environment where you use your own tools and you travel. Look at your tools. And really take deep thought on on the tools you use the most. Because I think when you look at your tools, you're going to go, you know, there's these four things or five things in here that they're in my box, but I can tell you I've honestly never really used them. Or I can't remember using them in the last four months, you know, and, and then uh, adjust from there. Figure out, you know, oh, you know, I was on the road. It's not very often, but I like these are pertinent to have in case of whatever throw those in you know Mm -hmm. um for me personally i it's a large crescent wrench and a forward wrench electric ratchet quarter inch socket set with with a multitude of extensions and universals get that get that out there and um a multimeter don't forget your multimeter Oh yes, I've actually for, I've actually done that, man, and I was hating life. <laughs> but again, uh, what would you guys think? Like, uh, if you were to ask yourself a question, like, how do I reduce waste, or how do I reduce the wait time, and how did you do it? Right, as MVP has mentioned, really take a look at what you got and with your setup, whether it be your personal tools or your hanger, and what can be done, and what sort of methods do you think? are most efficient that we might all be able to learn from. Please share your experiences with us. You can hit us up in the comments, in our social medias, on our website or email. The absolute best way to get a hold of us and to have these types of conversations is via Discord on our Patreon. That we've had all sorts of conversations like this where we're literally learning from each other and some things that we never even thought of. And that's the kind of stuff that helps us progress as mechanics, as, as efficient people, as decent human beings. <laughs> yeah, but by all means, please let us know. Let us give us your feedback so we can all grow and learn together and be better at our jobs and making things work to keep planes in the air and not have any mishaps. <laughs> on that note, hey, we thank you all again for listening and we'll see you all on the next one. Have a good one, everybody. Bye, everyone.
We would like to take this time to thank our patrons for supporting our show and allowing us to make episodes, maintain our gear, and create merch for all of our listeners. With special thanks to Erica Lamont, Chris Hawkins, Eric Shaw, Dan Schubert, Ryan Frushauer, Kyle Keir, Mike Sherwood, Caleb Stockhill, and Jennifer Brofer. Thank you all so much for your support and patronage. If you like our show, please support us on Patreon. You'll receive awesome perks like access to our private Discord, discounts and early access to our merch, first glimpse of our comics and other projects, and so much more. You can further support us and show off your prowess as an aircraft specialist by visiting our shop at cancelformaintenance.com. If you like classy or rugged watches, visit our affiliate Rockwell Time at rockwelltime.com. Use the code CX, the number 4MX, to save 10% off your total order. If you have suggestions for the show or you'd like to be a guest on the show, send us a line on our contact us section at cancelformaintenance.com and we'll do what we can to get both your ideas and yourself on the show. Please support us on social media like Facebook at Cancel for Maintenance, Instagram at C-A-N-X for Maintenance Podcast, or Twitter at C-X-M-X Podcast. Please check out our new comic series on the Tapas app. Like, share, subscribe, and comment on our comics. Let us know what you think. Thank you all so much for your support and listenership, and we will catch you all next time.